0: Hello and Paper Tuesdays to welcome with Michael Dwyer and Mark Halpin today. He'll be Michael Dwyer and I'll be Mark Halpin. Namaste. Namaste.
1: It's such a pleasure and a privilege to be with you. This is this fine Bealtaine day. Uh, yeah, yesterday, May is my Bealt- new. Yeah, yesterday was, but I'm I'm living Bealtaine. May yeah. is my new glorious. But you know, because we we have this thing about spring and you know the buds and the trees, but May is like the the buds are turning into leaves and there's progress and there's action in the world. Mm. And let's let's see it and embrace it. Yeah. Night's camera action. Let's go.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I haven't seen nighttime in three weeks.
0: What I I haven't seen a dark sky in three weeks because I go to okay. bed at eight o'clock and I wake up and it's bright. Yeah, so I don't know what nighttime looks like anymore.
1: And that you're into you're coming into summer now, so mm. are you going to adhere to your schedule? Like,
0: no, it's going to have to change a little bit. It I think.
1: Is, yeah, it is. It's getting a bit yeah. out of hand. Yeah, we're going to move paper juices onto a therapy session <laughs> where we try figure out your sleep schedule, Mark, and see if we can come to some sort of conclusion. I do have one of the sleep schedule of a toddler, don't I? Like. I, sorry. well yes and no i mean it's not a toddler more a really disciplined adult that's in the army or something yeah no, I, I can't <laughs> see a toddler not. imposing the eight to five regime no no they'd want to stay up later yeah
0: the thing yeah. is i only get about seven hours sleep a night even though i go to bed at eight really yeah so it's i don't mm. know what i'm going to do it's okay. Actually, I have to wake up later in the day. I think. Just talk to about Out. Actually, speaking of talk which,
1: yeah, yeah, I I said to you a you joke. Know, so you know the way I follow some hippy dippy pages, and mm. um, one of them said that the out of the tradition is to put the Jew on your forehead of the of the. So I oh. so I said to you as a joke. Yeah, and then I came back from my run and I was on the grass and I thought, I oh, sure there's Jew there. Am I as well? So what I picked that? up a bit, of, I rubbed it on the head. Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> I do that a lot as well Like there's a lot of like Hippie hippie nonsense shit That I don't really believe in Like the aromatherapy stuff I just gave Tash there Yeah. Like I don't know About the effects of that But like, I do it because I can Ensure what's, what's the harm If it doesn't And manifesting is... Marky manifest That's my new side business That I start <laughs> <laughs> on my page. I've been manifesting stuff For other people now So they've been coming to me And then I say it out loud And then it happens But uh, the stuff I manifest I still haven't become A multi-millionaire So oh, okay. that's maybe next R- week, next <laughs> week. <laughs> on that so if you want something manifested, just
1: <laughs> revolute me fifteen euro <laughs> <laughs> and tell me what you want, and I'll speak it out in the world. That's a great idea. Yeah, it's good side business. Yeah. Uh, mark, did you know that we were talking about Irish Rail last week, and Tony, the train driver, he grabbed the hearts of the paper chooses listeners, and um, I then started looking up something on Irish Rail, and I couldn't believe it when I found out that in two thousand two, Irish Rail had their first wat mark walk mark oh sorry what mark
0: what mark yeah
1: what's that it's a question for you
0: Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, oh they had their first oh oh yoga session female train driver oh wow (laughs) 2002 2002 that's
1: yeah that's a while ago all right I suppose, but like you think like that all this progress happened in the nineties when like we decriminalized homosexuality. We, you know, moved on with things. But no, two thousand and two was when we first said, you know what, she can drive that train. Well, now was that a case that women weren't allowed to train drivers or they didn't want to be train drivers. Didn't want to be. Yeah,
0: because I don't want to be a train driver. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So,
1: yeah, that's interesting. Actually, it swings around that. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, interesting. Um, yeah. Hardest man in Gory, Mark. You did a poll on this. What? Yeah, I did a poll. Oh, I, I didn't <laughs> share it on Instagram because I didn't know
0: if I'd be held liable for anything. So <laughs> I said I read it out here instead.
1: Very good. Okay,
0: uh, it's interesting the polls on Instagram to get see the kind of feedback and what's out there in the world.
1: Yeah, I it? think what's more interesting. Oh, yeah, absolutely, Mark. But I think what's more interesting is the fact that you come up with these polls in the first place. <laughs> you know, it's John Paul the Second or Jake Paul. You know, it's 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 uh, Rashers on the pancakes. That was a good one. Yeah, Mark. I was. That was actually like fifty
0: one. It was fifty. Yeah, oh, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Uh, you were in favour.
1: Yeah, but no, I don't know why. <laughs> i don't um i haven't had it but i think that if i wanted it i'd do it see that's the kind of attitude you
0: have though you know it's a positive one i haven't had it but i think i'd like it whereas i think about it i just i think it's fucking revolting and then i probably would like it if i ate it So well, right you know
1: yeah,
2: yeah. swings
0: around about. yeah <laughs> so the hardest man in gory here are the contestants okay if you if i left anyone out and you're listening please let me know just fix that now my forehead looks massive so we have number one no, this is actually a no, no particular order. Yeah, so we have Column Tyrrell. Mm-hmm. We have The Viper. I don't know who that is. I I, is either. that The Viper from Hardy Books? Like uh, this next one is kind of funny and it's kind of, uh, you'd have to think about it to get it. Right.
1: Uh, Greg Jacob. Okay. The hardest man. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah. And by the way, Mark, um, do you might be asking, who who submitted that one, Mark? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> next.
0: After Greg Jacob was Joe Lacey. Right, okay, okay. After Joe right. Lacey was John Woodburn. Okay, right, okay. After John <laughs> Woodburn was Mart. Mart? <laughs> yeah. cool. After Mart was the Wicked Chicken. <laughs> After the Wicked Chicken was Dylan Kenny. Oh, right, okay, okay. After Dylan Kenny was Wiz Doyle. Don't know Wiz. I don't know who the Wiz is now. No. I After the Wiz was Mick Wall Okay Uh, Good uh, contender Good contender there Uh, After Mick Wall was Fab O'Brien Okay We can't put put anything on Instagram without (laughs) Fab O'Brien coming back (laughs) (laughs) After Fab was Tom Stafford Right After Tom was Gavin Stamp Okay After Gavin was Niall Fitzgerald
1: Okay I'd back up Niall Fitzgerald
0: Uh, After (laughs) Niall Fitzgerald was Trevor Lally I don't know Trevor. Do you know Trevor? I know of him, yeah. Right. Fond, fond of his flagons, I think. Right. Uh,
1: after Trevor Lally was Foxy Kavanaugh. Very hard, man.
0: Yeah. He
1: after, gone fishing with me father today, actually. Shout he? out to Foxy. Shout yeah. out to Foxy. On a paper Tuesday hat, is going to knock dirty. Is he? Yeah. 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 <laughs> shout out Foxy. Shout out Podge. Shout out Gorrie Interior <laughs> Shout
0: out Jim French next. <laughs> shout out Tony Milloy's car. <laughs> shout out Tony Milloy's new car. Uh, <laughs> shout out Ronaldo from Juventus. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up Oh Patrick Dwyer was next Not your father I No this that's a, a distant
1: cousin of mine Patrick And he yeah. is pretty
0: hard yeah <laughs> And after that Was probably the hardest of them all Matty B Oh wow Okay on there.
1: Yeah I was going I had the old idea of Oh maybe I pick the top 10 But mm. I don't know This is just some contenders So
0: out of this list I, I'll go my top 3 anyway So number okay. 3 I would go With Niall Fitzgerald On the basis that He probably is one of The harder men here Yeah Uh after that, number two, I'll go with Matty Behan. Right, nice, okay. I'm sure Matty still gets hard from time to time. After <laughs> Matty, number one
1: is Mick the Brick Wall. Oh, well done Good for me well done. I've gone for Novelty trio. over really uh, Actually, Mick Wallace did mine He's number 2 mm. 3 was Foxy Cava. I Just There's something about Foxy To put the fear garden God into you And number 1 Just for the novelty of it Colin Turrell And Colin Your prize is You get an interview with us So send us So please prize. come collect please your prize <laughs> <laughs> Oh lads Movie roles that would suit each of us, Mac mm. Okay, so I just
0: have yours for this week. All right. So I went through the 100 top films of all time and I tried to see which ones you could play the role in. Yeah. That suit you. So I don't mean Flood 2, but I'll do them at a different stage. Mm. So you could be the lead role in Titanic.
1: Oh, Leonardo. Think, yeah, you'd up. be Leonardo. Oh, I think thank you, you. you are very romantic. Uh, Toy Story, you'd be Woody. Yeah. Well, do you think I'd be satisfied with what Rose did at the end? You know, would I say to Rose no for, for fuck's sake move over <laughs> I think like, you definitely would yeah. <laughs> Ash's reaction does a lot there um, yeah. so <laughs>
0: Toy Story then I think you'd be Woody I think you'd be loyal if you had an Andy I
1: think yeah.
0: you, you'd have Andy written on, you probably have Ash written on the solo of your would <laughs> say uh, after that of course Ghostbusters because really we've been Ghostbusters yeah we have yeah yeah uh, I think E.T. Elliot the All boy right? you wouldn't be E.T. you'd be the boy who yeah, looks yeah, after because yeah. you know? I think if you found an alien you'd be like oh come on I love that <laughs> Come on and sit down there Take off your bra Next <laughs> The Sound of Music I think you could meet a lady Who <laughs> Skips through the fields
1: <laughs> She had some life Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: uh, Fight Club The oh, original right. man Right Who like learns to, to fight and stuff Yeah I just do I just think he kind of Has your haircut first oh. start. And then uh, Back to the Future I think you would be Marty Right uh, The Shawshank Redemption I'm, I'm torn on this one I don't think you really are Andy Dufresne Nice. I don't okay. think you are But I think you'd be like Yeah We had the prison thing before I yeah. think you'd be like Andy the Frame in prison I think yeah. you'd be standoffish But you would be be like Okay we leave, leave Michael to himself <laughs> uh, <laughs> I should put this in Yours and Floods of Brokeback mountain Just because It was funny <laughs> And up I think you could either be The boy or the man in Oh
1: interesting things. Yeah you yes. could be the boy Or yes. the man yeah. <laughs> Mary Poppins Or. Oh. <laughs> uh Casablanca I Oh, Rick. I'd love Rick to be Rick wait, wait, which is Rick? Is he the... We've always have Paris I think that is yeah, Rick, yeah, yeah. We'll, all have Rick, have yeah. Paris. <laughs> we'll always
0: have Paris We'll always
1: have Enoscaric
0: And The Notebook <laughs> I haven't watched that Have you not? No. Actually, you may watch The
1: Notebook Yeah So, there we go Well done, Bear Yeah um oh okay i like, know i've done the thing where right, yeah, i read the yeah, next page and so Mark, i'd like to ask mark southeast synonyms about- we're back
0: <laughs> okay so synonyms are back so what this game is is i come up or sorry there's so synonym is a word that is another word for another thing yes yes right so i have picked things or places in South, the southeast Right. And I've replaced those words with similar words that mean the same thing to try and get the same oh, You'll brilliant. see as I go. So, okay. so what was apple green last day was like um fruit green or something. I don't know. Right. Shane so last you stuff can join in, yeah. Um number, and we'll just repeat what they say in case it doesn't pick sure. up mic. So number one, duplicate sure um, twin additional? No. Nope. Uh twin
1: twin uh duplicate copy mm. copy. Shore beach, uh, these are in the southeast, yeah. So it's shore, coast, coast. Oh, duplicate. What are we doing? Copy, um, replace. Um, oh, Jane any ideas? Duplicate, copy. We're very close to it. Clone Beach, uh, yeah, clone. Why did you say Clone Beach and then go, um, you got the whole thing. (laughs) Clone. Yeah. I never thought of that. Yeah. Well done. Well right. done. Thank you. Well, you got it. Uh, One num- to the number two. Uh, riveting. Riveting. Ribbit. Riveting. Do you mean riveting? No, riveting. What does riveting? Like the frog. Mean? The frog. Ori. Ribbit. Ori. What does a frog think? <laughs> <laughs> um, riveting. Frog. So. Fogging, um <laughs> What's that? Ruperting <laughs> What's going on? Um, um a clue for this one, Mark like, uh oh. Rupert. <laughs> <laughs> So attractive. It's got, I'm glad you told the people last week that you're you're attracted to women. So no, Robbie, cut that out. <laughs> yeah, <he cut laughs> out the part where I said I'm actually straight. <laughs> <laughs> Explain yourself, Robbie. <laughs> okay, ribbiting, ribbiting Wexford, ribbiting Wexford. <laughs> Another word for ribbiting. Noising um, mm-hmm. and <laughs> revolting. Um, it's getting sick. It's a place in Wexford, but well, it's another word for riveting. New Ross. Mm-hmm. What
0: does a frog <laughs> do? Well, it ribbits. rivets. <laughs> he has what would you say about someone who has died? Croaking. Shane, oh, Shane, Shane. and Michael one each. Well done. Uh, so number three. Transfer buffet.
1: Transfer buffet. Mm-hmm.
0: Shane, oh. two, one. <laughs> Number four, the ravenous tolerate. Hungry bear. Yes. Aha. Two, two, Shane. Ash, come on. <laughs> Number five, underground rail network. Two. Subway. Oh,
1: Subway.
0: Right. Three, two, zero. Number six, agreements. Deals. Ah, <laughs> uh, you know I love a <laughs> Number seven: triple element robustness. Strong. Trees.
1: Trio. Trio. to tree. Triple element robustness. Tree. 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 tree, tree, tree. Uh, strength. Oh Mark, oh dear. a um, triple element to robustness. I know there are people shouting at the screen now. Tri
2: mm-hmm.
1: Fitness.
0: Oh! Yes! Ash ah! 3, two one. 2, one. Number eight, Gory Wardens. The gory traffic garden. people.
2: Though.
1: Not
0: the Gory Guardian.
1: Oh, that was close. No, no, Definitely not the traffic
0: warden. Yeah. Gory Guardians. <laughs>
1: nope. Alright, warden. What's another oh, Warden. What's a what is warden? It? warden is a guard or an officer. And a park. A gory traffic. Guard. Warden. Park. 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 Ranger. Ranger. Gory rangers.
2: Oh. Yes. I will give it to Ash. We'll give it to Ash. Three, two, three, two.
0: Uh, number nine. Throw blazes. A fire.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes! <laughs> <laughs> throw blazes, catch, throw. Uh, throw, throw fire. Um,
2: it's yeah.
1: one of the restaurants, fire something. Yeah. Kind of oh, ring garden, drink garden. This
0: one isn't in the town. Ooh. It's closer to here than it is to Gori. Throw blazes. So, so, okay. If I was to do this to my hair, hot oh, burns, hot burns. Oh, ten. well done, well done. Three, three, two, three, three, two. Blazes, because there was a fire there. And the last, one. no burn. burn, oh, burn, burn. burn. No, okay. <laughs> uh, Number ten, the chili cereal cow juice stance. <laughs>
2: stance?
1: <laughs> the chili cereal cow juice stance. Cow juice, milk. The cow house. Cafe.
0: Coffee.
1: Milk. Milk The, chi- the chilli cereal Cow juice stance Breakfast Cold breakfast <laughs> <laughs> um. Imagine a restaurant called the cold breakfast <laughs> The chilli The hot the
0: bistro bistro The maple no. No, So chilli wouldn't mean hot So it's a synonym chili. So it's, a, it's the same thing as chilli The chilli yeah. cereal Cow juice stance
1: Stand. Oh, Come on, Michael. Do <laughs> you have it? <laughs> the... <laughs> Chili cereal, breakfast. Um...
2: <sighs>
1: cool grainy. Something.
2: The cool grainy
1: milk stand. The cool grainy milk stand. I had to get it in. <laughs> you love it I love it, I love what it What is it about it? Is it just because like It's the only thing in Cool That there's a monument to? So I never noticed it before And then oh, right. one day I was uh, After
0: drinking in Joe Gardner's And I was waiting for a lift Outside the gate And I seen that across the road And I was like What is that? And I never It's been there the whole time Cool yeah. milk stand And I was like I just took a photo of it And I was like Live Life 365 or
1: whatever Because <laughs> I just thought it was funny And now every time I go past I have to post a photo of it Anne is in the waiting room So let's Find out what Anne has to tell us Oh, come on. Hello, Hello,
2: folks. Hello, Mark on. and Michael, the two and ms Yes,
1: <laughs> yes <laughs> we are the m ms I was looking up, and I saw that you did uh, Anything Goes on uh, RTE, and I thought, well, Paper Chooses, that's a show where anything goes to, all
2: right. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you wouldn't remember it. I think it was before your time.
1: I think it was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, we're coming to a great uh, day. It's... Uh, When this goes out, it'll be a day before a great day for you. You'll reach a significant birthday and your second book book will be launched. So congratulations. You must be delighted.
2: I'm absolutely delighted. Yeah, I couldn't have had a better COVID (laughs) despite the lockdown. I had plenty to do. To get a project in the middle of it was great because I don't know what I'd have done if I had just been dependent on my own company. Yeah. Because I live alone, so, it's, you know, you don't even have the stimulation of somebody to fight with.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: And when we first connected, Anne, you,
1: you said the world has many oysters for us all. Um, do you feel grateful for this blooming life of yours as a published author now? You have two books published and a, and a third of the trilogy on the way. Um, how, how does it feel?
2: Oh, absolutely wonderful. There's, the high you get... When you get that publishing deal because I got it, I went through, um, I entered a competition in the Wexford Literary Festival and it was meet the publisher. Now it's very hard when, if you send in something cold into a publisher, it rarely gets read because they get hundreds and if not thousands of applications every year for novels and you could be they call it the slush pile and sometimes you never come to the top of the slush pile so it's not that your book is bad it's just it never gets read by anyone so I entered the meet the publisher competition and a panel read you send in maybe I can't remember was it three chapters or something and a synopsis and a panel read them and they put forward a certain number of them to meet the publisher they shortlist them so when I got the first email to say that I was shortlisted I was absolutely delighted and then we were to meet I was to meet the publisher to do a sales pitch on my book face to face and then Covid happened so they had to do it online and I had never done Zoom before and I wouldn't be your average technical (laughs) expert but anyway it went fine and it was Paula Campbell from Poolbeg Press so we did the the Zoom interview and halfway through when I was uh, talking um through my synopsis. I said, do you want me to continue? Oh yes, she said, I want you to continue. I'm dying to know what happened next. So that gave me great confidence to continue, you know, the interview. Yeah. And then within, I think it was within about 48 hours, I got word back from her to say we want to sign you up for a three-book deal. So I couldn't believe it was happening because I've been writing for years. you're plugging away plugging away and you you just get nowhere for a long time so any aspiring writers out there i would say keep entering the competitions because Um, it's one way to it's kind of a side door to get in to get your stuff read yeah
1: you you described previously um a very interesting process where when you were around 50 you you wanted to you you had the discipline for writing a book and in the end you just tossed it away because there was something missing. Looking back on that, you must be so grateful that you've continued to plug away at it.
2: Yes, well, I remember seeing um, an article in, um, I think it was in one of the newspapers and it was write a, bo- write a novel in a year. And I said, oh, I can do this. So I went through the motions of doing exactly what the course said. This writer was doing a, um, a column a week and you got your instructions for the next week. So I worked through this, but what I didn't realize was while I was obeying all the rules, there was no spark in it because I didn't have the basic idea. I didn't have the drive for this novel. You know, I had the steps and I went so far in it and I looked at it and I said, oh my God, that's so boring. I wouldn't want to read it. So why would anyone else? So I abandoned that. And it was. Years after that, I wrote some short stories. And then years after that, I was doing my own family tree, doing the research for it. And I came across ancestors that had gone to America in the late 1800s. And we'd lost all contact with the descendants of those over the years. So I eventually did research and I resurrected a few of them. And that opened a whole new door for me it was hearing their stories there was one over in america who was particularly interested and she started telling me stories about people what had happened to them and i realized there's no such thing as an ordinary life everybody has twists and turns in it and you know sometimes that will direct you in a way that you never envisaged so when i had done up the book on the family tree and the photographs and the different stories I went to America and I met up with some of these descendants and I gave them all a copy of the book now it was only a book that I had printed in the local printers and they bound it for me it wasn't a professional job it was you know a ring binder type of thing <clears throat> so I gave them all a copy of it but at that stage I had got the idea there's some sort of a fictional family tree that would make a good novel here Mm. And that was the first time I felt fired up with an idea for a novel. So while I was in America, I did some research into locations so I'd get the feel for the place. So one for the first book. San Francisco was one of the places because. um, some of the scenes were set during the 1906 San Francisco earthquake, which devastated the city completely. So I did a lot of research on that and I wandered around the city getting a feel for it. Boston was the other place I located it. So again, I did a lot of walking in Boston and got the feel for it. And I feel that. I wouldn't be able to unless a place was totally fictional, I would find it very difficult to write about a place unless I'd actually visited it. I don't have a difficulty writing about places in Wexford because I know them intimately. Um,
1: but this might be a good time, Anne. To uh, you, you, um, you picked a, two. You kindly picked two uh, samples from the book, and one of them was with Joanna arriving in Boston. Um, yeah. If you want to um, share us with that reading, I have read the book thanks to Mary Doyle, your your good friend and uh, former teacher of mine. And uh, yeah, I was really taken by Joanna because as a lead character, you really get to intimately understand her life and her growth and development so that's why i really uh, wanted to see if uh, if we could capture joanna's essence for for this podcast um so
2: so maybe if you if you have it there right i have it here yeah this that's the cover of the book lives apart now this is um johanna <coughs> comes from a farming family in county clare and her older brother hugh goes off to America in the late 1800s and he's something of an entrepreneur and he opens a grocery store which mushrooms into more stores later on in life but she decides that all the young people were leaving rural Clare and she was going to be left you know and all her pals were gone to England or America or wherever and she decided at 17 she'd have a bit of an adventure and she'd go to America and see what that held for her. So on the voyage over, she began to get very nervous because she was only 17. It wasn't like if you emigrate nowadays, you get home every year for holidays. Communication is great. Pick up the telephone, Skype, Zoom, all of these things. She had none of that. So she was going into the unknown and she was traveling alone. So she went over on the voyage and then she traveled up to Boston to meet the brother on the train. And she was really worried about it, because the last time he had seen her, she was only a child, she was about nine, he was a lot older. So, as the woman had said, Hugh was there waiting for her when she alighted from the train. She scanned the crowd, wondering if she would recognise him in the throng on the platform. The last picture she had of him was the day he left Ireland. Hanging on to her mother's hand she watched her big handsome brother in his best suit, his only suit, and his thick wavy hair blowing in the wind as he said his goodbyes. She remembered her mother's eyes, her wonder at their redness, herself oblivious to the possibility that she might never see her brother again. The space between child and adult, a distance too wide to span, right there on the quayside in Ireland. It was was like it had all happened yesterday and now she was here. She was here, family, but a stranger meeting a stranger. So that was her anxiety um, on the way over. So I can read another short passage where it's 50 years later. She had had her life in America and she had never been in a position to come home on a visit to Ireland. But the brother Hugh treated her to this trip and he came with her. He had been home because he'd been home on business at different stages, but it was something that she could never have imagined that she'd be able to do. But at this stage, her parents were dead and everybody was much older. So she's arriving. Her her eldest brother, Art, stayed at home. He was the farmer in the family. And he picked Hugh and Johanna up from the train station in County Clare. And it's 1926. A sudden sun shower spilled down on them as they approached the turn. Its force slowed Art to a crawl as he strained to see the road ahead through the drenched windscreen. The water seeped in through the loose joints of the car as Johanna moved away from the frame. A real wreck of a a farm vehicle, but she could see the pride on Art's face when he collected them at the station and held the door of his freshly washed vehicle open. Probably not up to the standards you're used to, but you've no idea how it's changed my life, Art beamed at them. The cloud burst stopped as suddenly as it had started, having washed the dust off the hedgerows. At the top of the lane, Johanna asked him to stop and let her out to walk. Her heart thumped as she watched the two men bump along the rutted laneway towards home, home. She was home at last. She stood and listened to the sounds all around her and breathed in the damp smells of the earth as she waited for the car to disappear. She could hear the glugging as the earth drank in the recent shower and watched it spill its excess into the trickle of the roadside ditch. The rich waft of wild clover, a sweetness forgotten, came on the air, almost making her sneeze. When the curve of the driveway had swallowed the two men, she relaxed and looked around. She didn't want Hugh in her ear, her Art bubbling with excitement in the driving seat. These first few moments were precious. She had waited so long. She now wanted to have them alone, in peace and at her pace, not to come upon it suddenly in a rush, but to stroll through the past and into the present, savoring each moment. She wanted, after the weight of a lifetime, to round the corner and see it in the distance, to spot the changes one at a time as she walked up the driveway. She had no intention of throwing away the weight of nearly 50 years in one short minute. I always feel that people who emigrated way back always had this yearning to come home to Ireland. And for a lot of them, it was a one-way ticket. They never got back, but they always had this this yearning and she was no different.
1: And you display a remarkable um understanding of people, and like these are fictional characters. But when I read the book, I I had my had to stop myself from saying in conversation to people, "Oh, did you hear the story about so and so?" Only to remember then that it was the fictional book that you had written. You know, so that's how vivid these uh, descriptions come alive. I, I I can't help but think, like, has that been a skill that you have over your lifetime in understanding people and understanding um.
2: Understanding what works, especially with your time in RTE. Um, RTE would have been my university because I left school early. But um, I think as you get older, you get the one thing you get is you gain a bit of wisdom. And if you're, I was always very interested in people, and I was a peculiar sort of a child. Um, when I'd be in my grandparents' house. I'd always be listening into the adult conversations and I always had a fascinating for rooting in the sideboard for the old at the old photos and wanting to know about these people, so I always had an interest in people, but I think. If you can empathize with people now it doesn't come when you're a young person it's something that evolves slowly, if you have an if you're open to it and are interested in people and see what gives meaning to people's lives and how different things that happen them affect them. And then I would have spoken to different people that would have had incidents happen. Like even when I was writing the book, I would have spoken to people and asked them how, how it was for them at that time. But I think as you get older, it's something you naturally learn. But
1: say when you gave uh, Mrs. Brendan O'Carroll his uh, his uh, a great opportunity to start Mrs. Brown's Boys, I mean, that takes a sort of vision, doesn't it?
2: Well, he came up with the idea, now I can't claim the idea. His um, theatre, his Mrs. Brown theatre shows, Did they were a sellout. Every part of the Globe that he went to, they were an absolute sellout. But Brendan had uh, decided to do a feature film at one stage, and um, it kind of hit the rails. It didn't, it, it didn't work financially, it didn't work out. So he got this idea to do videos of his um, of his stage shows, but not shoot them in the theatre to go out on location. And he was a bit nervous about doing it after his previous experience had, you know, hit the deck. So He wanted someone with drama experience and I had been working on Fair City before I left RTE and I had done about a year or so on Fair City. So I had drama experience. So he asked me to look at the the script and to see was it feasible to do um, economically. So I had to look at it and it was absolutely fine to do and you could do it economically. So I broke down the script and put it into shooting order so that they could do make it all in a fortnight so we went out to Donny Carney in North Dublin and we shot it and it was absolutely great fun to work on and the video was an absolute sellout so then he decided to do a second one so I set up the second one for him and I had production managed the first one as well so the second one I set it up for him but I wasn't really interested in production managing it so another of my former colleagues did that and then he was up and running because he involves his whole whole family in the productions and they're very quick learners they're very smart so they were able to see the template that I had worked out for them and they went on and I think he he took over a warehouse or something out in Blanchardstown and set up um sets there and I think they shot a lot of them there and then it, it snowballed after that I was well out of it at that stage but it snowballed after that and it went into the television series and I'm not I'm not sure where that's shot
1: yeah and say when you're working with someone like Brendan O'Carroll what 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 strikes him about like I think he's part of Mensa he must be extremely intelligent is he
2: oh very very smart and uh, his family are all very smart as well they're very quick on the uptake you know if you tell them a thing once they have it and they know how to do it themselves then after that. So they're kind of, when I say a one man band, it's not a one man band, there's a whole gang of them. But they're all they have different roles as well as acting. They take part in the behind the scenes stuff. You know, very, very smart and very clever. You describe RTE as your
1: university there a moment ago, like um, to to go from sales and then to production management and then going with the the programmes of Would You Believe and travelling the globe. It it really, I suppose, was a a university, more than a university education. But what, what main attributes do you take from your time in RTE? Um...
2: Well, apart from learning all the production skills, you learn learn how to deal with people and how to get the best out of people. Um, It was so wide-ranging what I did um, because I was a production assistant for years there and then I became an assistant producer. So when I was a production assistant, I was out on the road a lot of the time, traveling around Ireland, and then I got to travel the world, really. And... That was mostly with a program called Would You Believe, a documentary series that came from the religious department, but it wasn't kind of strictly religious. It was more about what gives people meaning to people's lives. So you met and it was before the era of celeb. You know, we didn't we had ordinary people. We weren't really doing we did the odd one with celebrities, but it was mostly ordinary people. And they're much more interesting, really, because a lot of them have a story to tell and they're. You know people come up against very very difficult things in their lives and you just when you meet these people it kind of opens your eyes to what's out there and the difficulties people have and how they overcome them you know i've met some people that you know i'd be in awe of them how they coped you know under very difficult circumstances um So that was that was probably the program that I learned the most on. And I worked on we were moved around every year to different programs. You never got settled anywhere. But most years I got back to working on that because you might be filming for 26 weeks and then the other 26 weeks of the year, you'd be working on some other program. So I did a lot of studio stuff as well. And that was very I did a lot of the live studio, the Uh, kenny live and saturday live where people who weren't presenters we put them in front of the camera and got them to to choose their guests and present the show and we'd all sorts of people we had bishop eamon casey did one fargal quinn the supermarket supremo did another um oh there was was that brendan shine did one did um, what do you um did Ian Paisley's daughter do one? She did. Rhonda Paisley did it, yeah. And the Paisley family came down for that. Were you? Or were you involved in the production of those sort of programs? I you? was, yeah. Yeah, I worked on all of those. Oh, right. And want to so, tell him? What was he like? Or what was Pat was great to work with. Pat yeah. was somebody that he'd come in, he wouldn't be in the office with you, but he'd come in for the meetings and you would tell him a thing once, and he'd just he was like blotting paper. He just absorbed absolutely everything. And the amazing thing is he remembered everything, you know, and so much information coming at him from researchers and about all the different people. And he just he just soaked it all up. He was great. Very professional to work with. Another person who was great to work with was Daniel O'Donnell. (laughs) Daniel was absolutely brilliant. Now, I wouldn't have been a fan of Daniel's, but friends of mine down here in Ballygarrett. Mary and Breda Doyle, Brida has the shop at Powell Show and Mary teaches in the school, they forced me to go along to a Daniel O'Connell, uh, Daniel O'Donnell concert in the Unyoke. Do you remember the Unyoke? Okay. Um, um. It was a brilliant night and Daniel had the audience eating out of his hand <laughs> and I had never worked with Daniel at this stage but I remember there was one um, mother or grandmother and she was trying to take the child, had gone up onto the stage at the end, and she was trying to take the photograph, and the camera wouldn't work. And Daniel just sat there with the child on his knee and he chatting away to the audience. And he was saying, because the mother was getting into an awful state at this stage, our camera wouldn't work. Relax, relax, mother. We're going nowhere. Take your time. You'll get it. You'll get it. And the child stayed with him. So he never, he was great with his audience. So, anyway, shortly after that, it turned out that. I think it was one of the Saturday Live people wanted him as a guest on the show. And he was brilliant to work with, very professional. And then I worked much later with him on some, some music awards show. It was either, in, I think it was in The Point, if I remember rightly. And it was at a time when Daniel was having throat problems. I'm, I'm not sure what his problem was, but he his manager rang up that day and told us that he had an awful throat problem and he was our guest artist for that night so he was the big star that night and we were in a bit of a panic because we thought he was going to pull out and the the manager said no but he'll come along for the, the rehearsal but he won't be able to give you any voice but he'll do all his moves in the way he's going to do them on the night and he'll give you the last couple of words of each verse and like the music was one, two, three, one, two, three. So we were able to rehearse cameramen and sound and people like that. And then when it came to it on the night, he never put a foot different. He did exactly the same. So everything we had rehearsed worked perfectly. He was the ultimate professional yeah. it's and t- very easy to work with.
1: Yeah, it's a, it sounds like a different era of television and production and everything in that like when you describe Pat Kenny there and you know you have this team of researchers and they're all feeding him information and he's just soaking it in and you know developing it like a trance or whatever, but like now it's all on Wikipedia and we all just gobble it up straight away instantly. Like, do you see that transition in that, you know, because technology has advanced that so
2: too production of television has changed. I would think it has. No, I'm out of production for a while. I did freelance for um, about 10 years after I left RTE. But I do think it has changed a lot because we would always talk because like I worked before we had computers on programmes, but I also worked when computers came in. But we would have sat around the office talking through ideas. We'd have gone over for our coffee break and we'd be meeting other people. And you might say, oh, we're having so-and-so on the show. And they'd say, oh, um, did did you know about such and such? And they would exchange information. And you'd come back to the office with more information. And it was, people talked more. Whereas now, I believe, I haven't been in there recently, but I believe in production offices, everybody's glued to their screen and nobody is really talking. And I think that you lose a lot on that. Now, I made the decision to take early retirement at a time when reality television was coming to the fore. And I just thought, I really don't want to be involved in Love Islands and all of this sort of stuff. I couldn't be bothered wasting my time because I wouldn't watch them. So um, I thought, now is the time. I've had a great career. I've worked on the most interesting programmes and they're not going to get more interesting apart from... There are interesting programs, of course, there are, but the chances of getting to work on those, you have much more chance of working on the the reality stuff, which I didn't really want. And it's it was hard work, you know, very, very long hours. But I have to say, I was never bored a day in my life. I was worked to death, but never bored for a minute. And to, for to any young people out there, I would say, keep looking for the job that stimulates you. If you get a job, I know you have to pay the bills. If you have a job and you find after a few years, oh no, this isn't really for me. Search for something new and move on until you get that job that really fires you up because they are out there, those jobs. But sometimes you just have to go through other things and you learn as much as you can on each job, no matter how boring it is or no matter, if it's something that you think isn't for you, try and absorb everything you can possibly learn because it all comes together in the end.
1: You're a breath mm. of fresh air, Anne. I love that. Um, <laughs> but you, you're, you're a talker, but also you mentioned earlier that, you know, or not earlier, but in another interview that um, you admired the discipline of writing daily, that you would encourage that. Is that for writers or for anyone? Like,
2: uh, have you found that has helped you in your life? Um, well, no, really for writers, yeah. um, like when I was working in television, I would have maybe had to write links or things like that to music items or to, um, to guests. But to actually, if you want to start a writing career, you really need to write every day. And sometimes the hardest part is the opening of the computer and the sitting down in front of us and the blank page but once you do that and you type the first word it usually takes off and it doesn't matter what you write just to get into the flow of it and mm. um, I would find like I'm working on my third book at the moment and I have to do a few rewrites on it and I think oh gosh will I do it or will I go out and do a bit of gardening now it would be much easier to go out and do the bit of gardening and I say no no open the computer get started on it and once I get started suddenly it's half two, and and a half i've forgotten to have my lunch you know so i would say sit down open the computer get started
1: you beat resistance and then you discover a flaw that's that's exactly
2: yeah it it does come now so i know for some people it doesn't come that easily but if you don't sit down it certainly won't come
1: Hmm. yeah um i have to uh, when 15 years ago, and you were in, uh, my, or in primary school and you came into our class and told us about your trip to Sri Lanka. Um, I remember being uh, taken by, by the, you know, this is the first real life uh, account of what it was like over there in the, in the devastation of the tsunami. Um, looking back on it, uh, do, do you think of those human beings that overcome uh, great suffering to rebuild their lives?
2: I often think about them and there are a few that have stuck in my mind that I have never forgotten. Like there was one particular woman, we were driving along in the car one day. The reason I went over there was because I had got involved in um, a charity that a Sri Lankan friend of mine had set up. She had contacts, nuns who had a convent over in Sri Lanka and she wanted to help children who had lost parents, lost their homes and get them through their education until they were 18. So the charity had a lifetime of 10 years to do this. So I saw that she was working on her own on this. So I went out to meet her. And the first thing she said to me was, well, what can you do? And I said, well, there's no point in me going over to Sri Lanka because this was just at the time, just shortly after the, the tsunami in 2004. I said, there's no point in me going to Sri uh, Sri Lanka because I wouldn't know how to even begin to help. But I can help you with the administration of uh, administrative work from here. Well, she said, I'm very glad to hear that, because she said I got a lot of phone calls after I did an interview in The Irish Times. And every single person said to me, oh, I, I go to Sri Lanka. And when I said to them, well, what are you going to do when you get there? They had absolutely no idea. She said they were going to be passengers, but they didn't realize that. She said it's a well-educated society over there. It's just that everything has been washed away, but they do not need extra passengers. So she said, I I had to run those. But I need I do need help, she said, with the administration here. So I set up a sponsorship program for different children and. um, There were nuns over there that had Now, when I say a convent, it was a a small bungalow and they had a bit of land with it. So we financed um, an education centre and the local people, they got work out of it because the men all built the education centre. Now, it was when it wasn't a greenfield site, it was a brownfield site. There was nothing, everything, trees, everything had been swept away. So they built on this site anyway, and they got up the education and activity centre. But by the time I went over, it was a few years ahead, and I was able to see where I had seen the original photos of the devastation. And when I went over there, they had built this activity centre. The nuns had got the children involved in planting a garden and all the lovely tropical plants. It was beautiful. And I saw went around and I saw all the work that was done. And it was slow, but it had grown and they had animals and they were teaching the children how to it was a rural place teaching the children how to look after the animals. So they had hens, they had a a cow, they had various things, and they had the children growing the vegetables, and they allowed the children to sell some of the vegetables. But I remember when I was over there, driving down a street one day, and I looked out the window, we were stopped in traffic, and there was a woman sitting outside a building, and she had this expression on her face. I can't even describe it, but it haunted me to this day. She looked totally as if her whole soul had been sucked out of her. Now, this was about three or four years after the tsunami. But I just thought that woman has never got her spirit has gone. And God knows what had happened to her. I don't know. She probably lost her whole family and her home or something. But that woman's face haunts me still. And she was only someone I saw out through the window of a car. So it, it does affect you, you know, and then you hear stories later on where some of the children that um, you had managed to help, that they had gone on, they got married, some of them had gone to university, they'd, some of them became dressmakers or whatever. But it was great to hear that they, they actually survived and they got their lives together again. But it was a shocking time. Shocking. So from talking to you and it seems like an interest in people
1: has fueled all of this your time in rte your travels to africa guatemala and Sri lanka and now these this trilogy of books it's it's a it's one extraordinary life
2: it is i've been i've been very lucky really but you have to you have to work hard to make the luck yeah yeah and i think you have to follow your dream as well i always had this idea from the time i saw that article about how to write a novel in a year And the disastrous start. I still had the desire to write it but it wasn't until I did my own family tree that the idea of the novels came to me and I went for it then. I had time to do it because I wasn't I had given up television work and I just had time and I went to a lot of different creative writing classes and I went down to County Clare at one stage to there's a, a lovely writer called Niall Williams He. um, He'd be one that would be long listed for the Booker Prize, but his books are absolutely beautiful. He wrote a book called Four Letters of Love, and I read that off 20 years ago. But prior to that, he had his wife is American and her grandfather was from Ireland and the grandfather left her a cottage in County Clare. When he died. So Niall and his wife came back to live in the cottage and between the two of them they wrote a series of books on living the good life and restoring the, co- <laughs> restoring the cottage and growing their own vegetables. And then he went on to write his own novels after that and he runs courses and I did a course down in his place. Oh this would be, this would be probably 20 years ago. But what I learned on that course, I had a short story and I thought this was a great short story and I thought it was well polished up and everything, but I needed a little extra help. I had something to learn. I knew that. So I went down and I discovered that the other people on the course were people who are doing masters in creative writing in the University of Exeter and places like that. And they, I was completely out of my league. And here was me clutching my little short story. So what I learned from that course was how much I had to learn. So I was really only, I wasn't even on the starting blocks at that stage. But I kept at it and I did other courses. And I did one with a woman called Patricia O'Reilly in UCD. And that was the turning point. She was absolutely brilliant. So I went, I did it for a few years with her and I learned how to craft and how to add layers to my writing. At this stage, I had started the, the novel and, you know, how to develop your characters, how to write, you know, to have people in the landscape wherever you are setting your your books so I learned all of that and I realized there's a whole craft to be learned here so it has taken me about eight years to get to the stage where I was able to craft the books up to a level where a publisher would be interested in them
1: wow gosh you really have to chip away at it
2: mm. um, Mark have
1: you any questions mm, no no I'm, I'm happy not. enough yeah and it's been a pleasure oh we conclude actually with another great tomb it's uh, I Crossed the Line by Liam Dunn. Uh, it was written by Damien Lawler with his assistance. And uh, if you want to select a page between 1 and 288, we read a random paragraph from the book. Do you want to pick a number, Anne? Between one and
0: um, 55. I have no idea now what I'm picking. <laughs> or... <laughs> Um, at least motivation was not in short supply for my last year as a minor and in the 1986 Leinster Championship I was finally selected to play on the team and lined out at right half forward against Carlo. We beat them well,
1: I played fine and we had another good win over Leash in the semi-final yeah. <laughs> There we go Story into Liam Dunne's childhood yeah. And best of luck with the book and the second book is out uh,
2: this week What is it called again? The second book is called Lives Without End and Again, it's based on a character from this same family tree. It would be a niece of Johannes, and it's basically her story. So that is set in Clare and Boston, and in a lot of it is set in County Wexford, around the River Chapel, right. garage River Chapel area. Oh no way! All
1: right. Oh, love it there. Or Did you have family connections before? Because you lived in, near UCD for a good while. yeah?
2: Yes, I was brought up in Dublin. But my mother is from Gorey. She was from um, Charlotte Row, oh. And they left in the late 1920s and came to Dublin to live. So I was born in Dublin. Well, I wasn't born in the 1920s. I'm old enough. But, um, you know, she was in her late teens at that stage. And they came up to Dublin to live. But my summer holidays were always down around the core town money area because we didn't have a car so we couldn't be going over to the wild atlantic way we had to stick where there was a train would deliver us and it would deliver us to the trains I, my grandparents used to come my, my grandfather i always felt sorry for him because on the train as soon as we'd leave arclo he'd be looking he'd stand up and he'd be looking out the window and every year it was the same he'd say Pearl, Pearl, I can see the Creamery at Inch. And his heart never left Gory. He should never have gone to Dublin at all. And it was as if the Creamery at Inch was going to be moved. But it wasn't. oh, I can see and the excitement. And we rarely saw him for the whole week of the holiday because he would meet up with his friends at Gory and go off and do whatever. I don't know what they did. I was a very young child. And we'd go off to our farmhouse holiday in Valley Money. But I always had a feeling for Wexford and I always liked it. So when I was in my 20s, I decided I wanted to buy some sort of a cottage and live off the hedgerows. So I bought the place in, in Garrett and I've been coming and going for over 40 years now. So I kind of and I, I took the odd year off from work. And came down here to live permanently but I'm more or less living permanently here but I've retained a place in Dublin so I can have my social life when I get it back I yeah. can be up and down and meet my pals up there That's so oh there's two, just one thing I want to say that a lot of readers mightn't realize but reviews are very important to a writer I never knew this until I, I had my first book published but reviews on Amazon and Goodreads if you enjoyed the book put up a review and give it the star rating whatever star rating you feel that it deserves that's really important for a writer and I've only discovered this so every time I read particularly Irish writers if I have something good to say about a book I'll always I'll always do a review now as an avid reader all my life I never realized the importance of it
1: yeah, and the book actually—the the first book, "Lives Apart," is very reasonably priced on Amazon. I think it's only a, a ten or so. It's uh, it's well worth it.
2: Yeah. The other thing is Amazon now with Brexit that has affected um, the book trade here in Ireland. But you can buy the, the books on Book Depository, and they don't charge um, delivery. All right. There's, there's no postage, so Book Depository is good. Wonderful. That's great. And
1: have a lovely Sunday. Thanks, Amelia, for taking the time.
2: Right. Thanks very much, boys.
1: Bye-bye. Nice bye. Talk to you
2: again. Bye.